I have a, a few things before I get started. I wanted uh, to not wish you a happy Thanksgiving, but I'd like to uh, say happy Thanksgiving leftover day to everybody. Congratulations, we are here. It's one of the most under-celebrated holidays of the year, and yet it is one of my favorites. So I hope that you guys are uh, enjoying uh, this holiday along with me. Uh, I've already had four days of homemade cranberry sauce and turkey, and I'm hopefully going to spread it out for one more uh, because it was just so good. Franklin Heinrich. If you need some good cranberry sauce, that man right there, from scratch, it's incredible. I love it. Um, So the holidays are really fun, right? Because uh, not only do you get to eat all that you want, but what happens to the holidays? We all gather as family, right? It's a time where you see people that you you haven't seen, you know, your second cousin, you know, this person that you're not sure how you're related, but they show up, you know, all these people come together. and, And for some of us, it's really fun because, you know, we like spending time with our family. Like we like, oh, you know, I haven't seen you all year. You catch up. But then, you know, there's another side of that. There's some of us... that have slightly dysfunctional families, don't we? We have those, you know, like, oh, second cousin Bob, you know, or, you know, we all have, you know, you all are thinking, oh, I've got one. You know, like, they're, they're, these these gatherings are so fun. We should get together with family, but but family isn't always, you know, the picture perfect. Family isn't always, you know, like this 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 wonderful thing because some of us, I know it's hard to understand sometimes, but some of us have really dysfunctional families. Or some of us have really hard family dynamics. Or we have, you know, the second cousin or or whoever it is. And it can be really hard. And the great thing about our lives is that uh, we have family. But family is such an ingrained part of our lives that they really help us become who we are. Right? You know, like there's some family resemblances that are so strong. The first time I ever preached, it was Jenny and Sarah, right? took me years to figure out that they were separate people. You know, <laughs> I said hi to them multiple times and it freaked me out, you know, and, and there's these strong families still, like I'm still, oh, again, no, I know who you are. Uh, I don't always remember which kids go where, but I know who you are. Um, you know, and so we have these families that so um, influence us, you know, like I am a product, a lot of my parents, I have a little bit of my dad's humor, you know, and, and my mom's extra version, you know, like we probably both preach with our hands. If we had them at our sides, I couldn't say a word, you know, like I, I just, I, I'm one of those, you know, I'm very animated. I got that from my mom, you know, so we are all influenced by our families. And when we read the Bible, sometimes I think it's really uh, easy for us to forget, you know, we read about kings and we just see them as kings, right? Oh, the king of Judah, the king of Israel, you know, like these, these things. But we forget that sometimes we're reading about families. We're reading about people's dads and grandpas and brothers. And so what I wanted to do is, is I'm going to be talking about Josiah today. So I wanted to take a look at his family. I wanted to kind of frame it. I want you to understand, did that just for you guys, just for you, his family tree a little bit. So let's look at, we'll call him Grandpa, okay? So let's look at Grandpa. So Manasseh, we, Brian had gone over all this, so I'm just going to review a little bit because I don't want to, you know, rehash all the things that Brian did. But if we remember anything about him, he is one of the most evil people in the Bible, Easily one of the most evil people in the Bible. That's Grandpa, and and just so you know, you don't have to take my word for it. Let's let's just look at this real quick. So we're gonna look at. Uh, I'm in Second Kings right now. I'm gonna look at uh, chapter 21, 
And let's just read some of the awesome things that, that he uh, is known for. Uh, verse 4, he built pagan altars and temples. Verse 6, he sacrificed his son in a fire to to please a god. Basically, it was part of his worship to these, these pagan gods. So he sacrificed his own son. Verse 11, it says that he was even more wicked than the Amorites, which God had allowed him to conquer because they were so wicked. So he's more wicked than the wicked. And then um, verse 16... Let me read the whole thing because this is so profound. He murdered many innocent people until Jerusalem was filled from one end to the other with innocent blood. This was in addition to the sin that he caused the people of Judah to commit, leading them to do evil in the Lord's sight. He did so many evil things that they couldn't even write them all in the chapter. Like they, there was so much that he did that they're like, you know, we're not going to rewrite it. You can check out the book of history of the kings of Judah, and then you can figure out all the things that he did. Like, that's how many bad things that he did, is that it was too much to even write in the Bible, and this thing's not small. You know what I'm saying? Like, that is how many bad things that this guy did. That's grandpa. You know, so, yeah, think about that. You know, you're feeling better about your Thanksgiving, aren't you? You're welcome. Here's it's the feel good message, you know, and so this was this was Josiah's grandpa. That's that was his example. And so, OK, well, maybe I'm on his son. Maybe he did better. Right. Maybe maybe he wasn't as bad. But unfortunately, we work at uh, we look at chapter 21 verses 20 uh, and 21. And unfortunately, he did what was even the Lord's sight just as his father. Verse 21, he followed the example of his father. So now we have grandpa, who's just probably one of the most wicked people ever. We have Amon, who's his son, which is Josiah's dad, just as wicked, did everything that his dad did. And so you see the family ties that are going on. This is family. It's not just a story about a king. This is a family that's really got issues. They've got a ton of issues. You know, and so now we have these two just very wicked and evil men. And then Ammon gets assassinated, and then Josiah becomes king. Josiah was only eight years old when he became king. And not only did it, when he became king, he just lost his dad. So no matter how broken that relationship was, if you've ever lost a parent, or we were talking about grief early, think about the grief that he was feeling. His father had just been assassinated. His father had just been killed. And now the whole kingdom rests on this little eight-year-old. That is how he's been set up in his life. He's supposed to rule a kingdom. And all he has is this wicked family. His dad just died. And now he's the one responsible. These are real people and real places. These are real stories. This really happened. These were real struggles. It's not just about this king and these things. Look what is about to happen. And and let's look at this little eight-year-old. I don't know about you guys, but really anybody under junior high, I don't really understand. They're small. I don't. I don't get. I was like, what can you do? Who are you? So I had to actually look it up. What is an eight-year-old? Because <laughs> I was like, I don't know, you know. So there's these milestones. If you're not familiar with milestones, milestones are basically like if, you're, if your child is this age, the average eight-year-old should be capable of doing these things. And so I was like, well, what can an eight-year-old do, right? Because they're eight. I don't know. I, I think they can eat and do that, you know. And so I looked at a couple of these milestones. And, I mean, these are real, you know, real impressive. They can count backwards 
four, three, two, one. They know the date, which sometimes I don't. So, I mean, good job. You know, the days of the week and months, but in order, you know, January, that's impressive. You know what I mean? That's, there's 12 of those, you know, and then (laughs) this is my favorite. It's not all, but most, most eight-year-olds can completely dress and groom themselves. Not all of them. But I was like, he's a king. It's fine if he doesn't. You know, there's probably people doing that for him. So it's fine. You know, so here's this eight-year-old where now the expectation of an eight-year-old is that you can dress yourself and count. You know, like, and you can even count backwards. That's our expectations of eight-year-olds now. You know, think about this little eight-year-old who could barely count backwards and hopefully he can dress himself is now the king. This is who he is. This is, this is the thing that he is supposed to do. It sounds like this guy's really set up for success, right? Horrible family, dad just died, can count backwards, you're the king. You know what I mean? Like, this is a really big order for this little guy. I would expect him, as I was going through this, I was like, I would expect this guy to fail. Everything is against him. I mean, if we said, oh, there is a victim, this guy seems like a little victim kid, right? But let's see what happens to this guy. So we, we look at, we'll stand for just this little part of scripture. So if you guys would go ahead and stand up. Um, the rest of it we will sit for because I'm going to be going in and out of it. But let's just go for this part. Second Kings 22, 1 to 2. It's going to say this. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. And he did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight and followed the example of his ancestor David. He did not turn away from doing what was right. You guys can go ahead and take a seat. What I'm going to do right now is I'm going to read through the story of this little guy's life. Because what they've basically done, and it it drives me a little bit crazy, it's almost like reading the last page. You know what I mean? Like, you have, I gave you all this build up, and you're like, well, let's hear about his life, and then I've already told you the end. You know, like, oh, he's going to be fine. But don't you wonder, like, well, how did, in the midst of all of this that was going on, how was he okay? How did he do the right things? Like, because it's not just about the end, it's about how do we get to the end? I would love for God to say this about me. She did the things that were right in the sight of the Lord. I I can't wait for that day. I want God to say that about me. I want him to say about it today. I want to say at the end of judgment, I can't wait for him to be like, he did good. Like, I, I, I want that. You know, so how did this kid who had nothing going for him get to that part where God is like, I'm so proud of you. Well done, little one. So I'm going to read... 2 Kings 22, I'm going to go 11, and then I'm going to go 13 to 20, because 12 is just all names, and we don't need to go through that, because I just butcher them all. So we're going to just go ahead and skip a little bit. This is just real life, people, okay? Real life. So we're going to go chapter 22, verse 11. When the king heard what was written in the book of law, he tore his clothes in despair. And then, you know, some names, some names. Uh, go to the people and speak to the Lord for me, for the Lord and for all Jews. Inquire about the words written in the scroll that has been found. Now, let me let me give you a little backup here. I forgot to do that because that's important. Josiah becomes king. The first thing, one of the first things it says that he does when he becomes king is he decides to rebuild the temple. Now, it doesn't say why he decided to rebuild the temple because remember, like. He wasn't serving God. He didn't, everything that was in the temple of the Lord, there was pagan altars and stuff in there. So it wasn't like, oh, I know the Lord, I'm rebuilding his temple. It was nothing about that. But he decided to rebuild this temple that was in his kingdom. As he's rebuilding this temple, uh, a high priest that had been working in the temple found what is called the book of law. 
Now, the book of law is basically uh, the Jewish scriptures. So everything that God had written for the Jews and for all these different people, he found it. Okay, so uh, the high priest found this and gave it to um, one of the king's advisors. The king's advisors gave it to um, King Josiah. So they just found this random book, brought it to King Josiah. Josiah reads it and realizes that everything that they've been doing is wrong. They realize that everything that they've been doing is wrong. And so now we're picking it up where he is realizing, and when it says he tears his clothes, in, in that culture, that was the ultimate sense of mourning or of grief or of anguish. It's like you're tearing yourself apart. That's how much he, he was responding to this thing. So that'll give you a little bit of background as I read, because otherwise this would have made no sense to you. Like, it makes sense to me because I've been studying. I'm like, oh, guys, yeah. But that's, that's the story that, that is coming into it. So let's, let's go back into it. So when the king heard what was written in the book of law, which had been found, he tore his clothes. And he said, go to the temple and speak to the Lord for me and for the people and for all of Judah. Inquire about the, about the words written in the scroll that has been found. For the Lord's great anger is burning against us, because our ancestors have not obeyed the words in the scroll. Who's the ancestors? Oh, just the wickedest guy ever. Grandpa? Dad? You know what I'm saying? There's a few others in there too, but when he's talking about ancestors, don't... Like, think about it. It's his family. <laughs> it's his family. It's because of what his dad and his grandpa and others have done that there's going to be destruction. It's because of his family that this is about to happen. Think about that. We've been doing everything it says, because we haven't been doing everything it says that we must do. So Hilkiah the priest, Akamah, Akbor, Shaphan, and Isaiah went to the new quarters of Jerusalem to consult with the prophet Huldah. She was the wife of Shulam, son of Tikvah, son of Harhas, the keeper of the temple wardrobe. She said to them, the Lord, the God of Israel, has spoken. Go back and tell the man who sent you, this is what the Lord says. I'm going to bring disaster in the city and its people. All the words written in the scroll that the king of Judah has read will come true. For my people have abandoned me and offer sacrifices to pagan gods, and I'm very angry with them for everything they have done. My anger will burn against this place, and it will not be quenched. But go to the king of Judah, who sent you to seek the Lord, and tell him. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the message you have just heard. You were sorry and humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I said against this city and its people, that this land would be cursed and become desolate. You tore your clothes in despair and wept before me in repentance. And I have indeed heard you, says the Lord. So I will not send the promised disaster until after you have died and been buried in peace. You will not see the disaster I'm going to bring into this city. So they took the message back to the king. So we have this little eight-year-old. Because of his repentance, because of one little kid, one little kid, this desolation that God promised because of what his dad did and his grandpa did and all these different people did, was stopped because of one kid. One eight-year-old that was so sorry for everything that he had done. You know, that's one thing about kids that I do like. You know, that's not, not so much. But, like, it's real. But I love how willing they are to be like, oh, no, but let's do that. They go wholehearted into things. You know, if they're like, I was wrong, they really, sometimes they just want to, they'll do everything to make it right. That's the great thing about kids. 
And I love that here's this eight-year-old that just did that. And he's leading all of these other people. If we look at, um, so we saw, you know, Josiah becomes king. He rebuilds the temple. He finds the scrolls. He's tearing his clothes because of the destruction. He's so sad. And it says this in, in 2 Kings 22, 18 to 20. I don't want you to lose this. This is what God says. This is exactly what it says. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. You were sorry and humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I said against the city and its people, that this land would be cursed and become desolate. You tore your clothes in despair and wept before me in repentance. Get this part. I have indeed heard you. In the midst of all of the chaos, in the midst of all of the evil that was going on, one person repented. One person. And God heard him. Sometimes I think it's easy for us to feel like God is not hearing us. God is not responding. There's so much chaos going around in our lives. Every time you speak to the Lord, he hears you. Every time. And it changes his heart. He, it matters. It's not just that he hears you. It matters to him. It mattered so much that this one kid said that he was sorry for what had done, that he waited 40 years before the promised destruction would come. 40 years because of one kid. I want you guys to hear this. God can hear you loud and clear. God can hear you loud and clear, and it matters. It's so easy, and I hear this all the time from youth and from other people. I don't think that God hears me, and I don't think that he responds. I can't hear him. I hear it all the time, and it makes me so sad. God, there's a promise here that God hears you every time, and it matters. It's not just that he's listening. He's doing things. Whether you recognize it or not, he is responding to you. He's responding every time. But the, the thing that we have to do, and I think that we're not always so good at this, is that we have to humble ourselves. It is hard to submit and say, God, we, and it's not just him. I mean, he's eight. What did he do? He was so sorry for everything that had happened within his family. He was sorry for the group and the kingdom that he was a part of. Sometimes we're like, well, I didn't do it. It's fine. You know, like, that's real. Like, people are like, well, it wasn't my bad. They did it. You know, like... It's, you know, if you're in charge, it's always your fault, you know? So, like, a kid could do something, and it's like, it's my bad, you know? Like, it's just, that's just what it is. Like, we have to be responsible as a community, as a church. How many times as a church have we made mistakes? And I'm sorry. How many times as a church, and not just as Bethany Church, but as Christians, have we harmed people? Have we hurt people? That makes me sad. I'm sorry. We have to humble ourselves before God and say, God, I am sorry for what is going on in the world. I'm sorry for the way that we haven't loved people as we should. And it's not just about, I think so many of us, and I, I hate failing. I hate failing more than anything. I hate failing. So it's so, it's so easy for us to want to like erase the mistake. So that nobody knows it. You know what I mean? Like, it's like on those tests, you know, where the little bubbles and you're like trying to erase it because you know you got it wrong, but you don't want to like ruin the paper, you know? So you're like trying to just erase it so that no one would know that you made that mistake. But it's not about erasing the mistake. It's about accepting it. That is what's so hard. Can we learn to accept our mistakes? Can we learn to internalize them and say, God, I made a mistake. I'm not trying to erase it. I'm not trying to cover it over. 
But I want to be real with you, God, and I want to say, I messed up. I made a mistake. How hard is that? That is so hard. But that's what we have to do. God already knows. I mean, you can't, it's so funny. We try to lie to him like he doesn't know, but it's like he totally knows. Uh, so we need to stop trying to cover it and just accept it. Second Kings 23.3, it says this. The king took his place of authority and renewed the covenant in the Lord's presence. He pledged to obey the Lord by keeping all his commands, laws, and decrees with all his heart and soul. And all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. I want you guys to notice something. Look at what's happening. Josiah reads a scroll, hears God's word, responds. Then he like goes back and says, Lord, I'm sorry. So he hears God's word and he tells God, I'm so sorry. God looks at Josiah, is like, I hear you, I care about you. Don't worry, there's no distraction at this time. Awesome. Josiah comes back. He's like, Lord, I'm going to make this covenant, which is just a promise with you, that I'm going to keep your commands and your laws. Do you see this back and forth? Do you see this relationship? And I want you guys, it's so easy. Some of you guys are going to read this, and this is what you're going to see. You're going to see he kept all the commands and laws and decrees. Maybe that's more of our type A friends. You know, like he did everything as he should do. He was perfect. You know, but here's the problem is we can be perfect, but the real important part of what's going on is the second part, with all of his heart and with all of his soul. It's not just about keeping all of the commands. It's not just about, like, I can do this and I can do that. You know, like, I can do this job and I can do all the expectations. You know, like, I'll wake up and get here on time, mostly. Uh, you know, I will, um, you know, I'll, I'll do all my paperwork. I'll turn in my receipts. I'll plan youth events. I'll do all these things. But if I'm not doing it with all of my heart and my soul, like, if I was up here preaching and I was like, Josiah was a great man. Great man was he. You know, like how boring would that be? You know what I'm saying? But there's a difference when you do it with your heart and your soul. There's a difference when your heart is into it and you, you want to put everything that you have into doing things really well. There's a huge difference. When, when Jesus was asked, you know, what is the most important thing? He said, teacher, what is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus said this, and that's Jesus I mean, come on, guys. Jesus, you know, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. There is nothing that we can do better, even if you're making mistakes. He's like, we can work with that. We'll just adjust it, but we can work with it. He wants your heart and your mind and your soul. He wants you to do it. It's not just about doing it right. It's not just about being perfect. It's not about following everything to the T all the time. But it's about, God, I'm I'm trying. I'm I'm giving you everything that I have, even the brokenness, even the things that are a little bit messed up. That is the most important thing. It's the heart and the soul and the mind. It's not just about doing it perfect. That's not why he was so great. He was so great because he knew what was important, to follow God with everything that he was. I had a great example of this. So when I was younger... This may surprise some of you. I wasn't as tidy. Now, this isn't my room, but (laughs) this is the closest that I could find to my childhood. I shared a room with my twin sister, Ellie, and my side, and we literally had to put a line down the middle because of this, looked kind of like this. My sister's side, immaculate. You know, like everything was organized and dusted and vacuumed and everything was awesome. Now, one of the laws in my land, which was my household, was you will clean your room. 
There is no way around it. You will clean your room. I did not do it with all my heart, mind, and soul. I did not. I was one of those that, like, I got really, you know, I start to shove stuff under the bed. I got really good in, like, between the mattresses. You just shove a layer of clothes, you know. I was really good, you know. And so I would do all these things, and my parents would come in and find all my hiding spots and, like, put it back into the pile that it was and be like, try again, you know. And, and so I, you know, eventually I cleaned it. But so I did what I was supposed to do eventually, but my heart wasn't in it. You know, where there's my sister, she was the better of the twins. Uh, there's truth. Uh, there's my sister who like, she would like on cleaning day, that was like her thing, man. She went in and she like organized everything and like, you know, she like, she organized and then cleaned, you know, so she could actually reach the stuff, you know, and so she's like dusting and like vacuuming and it was like just beautiful. And when she finished, she was so proud of what she did. She'd be like, mom, dad, come check it out. You know, I'm still cleaning and I'm just like, not now, not now, you know, but she would like bring him in because she was so excited about what she did. You know, she wanted that, look, look at what I did. Look at what I did. She was so excited about the affirmation that my parents gave her because of the way that she would clean, because she just did it with all of her heart. That's the difference. We both followed the law. We both eventually cleaned our room. But let me tell you, the way that Ellie did it was the way that we should live life. We should be the ones that are like, okay, like, okay, what do I got to do? You know, like, yeah, okay, love people. I'm going to do that with everything, I, you know. And so then we find ways to love people. It's not just, oh, I should love people. I'll see if, I'll see if something comes up this week. How often does that happen? Not often. We need to be out. Like, how, okay, who has things that need? We have people that are going through the holidays and it's a hard time. How can you go find them and love them? You know, like, how can, you know, what... I don't know, there's just, who's in your family of dysfunction that you're like, okay, I do not get along with them, but I want to do something nice because I want to bless them. Like, we have to be intentional in this. We have to do it with our heart and our soul and our mind. Not just because it says, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul, but he wants your soul and he wants your heart and he wants your mind. He wants you to do it because you're so excited to do it. Like, I love preaching. I love this. So when I get to do it, like, I just throw everything into it. This is, I love it. I feel the Holy Spirit on me when I get to preach. I feel God's love right now as I get to talk about it. I love it. Find the things that 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 is for you. It may not be public speaking for you. Maybe it's something else. Maybe you are a great baker. Bless you. My office is over there. You know, maybe, I don't know, we've got woodworkers, you know, we've got people that have talents and skills. We've got cranberry sauce makers. Bless him. You know, what can you do? What can you do? Be that person. Second Chronicles says this, God's hand was on the people in the the land of Judah, giving them all one heart to obey the words of the king and his officials who were following the word of the Lord. Look at this again. Josiah responds. God responds. Josiah responds. God responds. It's about a relationship. It's not, if I do this and this, then this will happen. Nope. It's not that. If I love God and I speak and have a relationship with him, he loves me and he'll speak and have a relationship with me. It's about a relationship. So, God responded and now we have Josiah. He's got to get to work. 
So remember, he's following two of the most evil men of, of the time. And so he has to get to work. And so what does he do? And it says this. It says he destroyed all the idol worships, the altars, the temples, the sacred places. He got rid of the idolatrous priests. And this thing got me the most. This really hit me. And I don't know why, but it did. He defiled, defiled the altar of Topeth. So it would never again be used to sacrifice children. That got me. Because remember Manasseh? Sacrificed his son, which was Josiah's uncle. So don't tell me that wasn't personal. Don't tell me that didn't mean something to him. And for all of us, I don't know if you guys are, I'm very protective of children. I love that he's, he destroyed the place where kids were being killed. I love that. I don't know, you know, if that hits you guys, but for me that was really profound. He was protecting little kids, and I love that. Galatians 6, 9 says this, Do not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest. Don't give up. He had a lot to do. There's a whole chapter, which we're not going to read, but there's a whole chapter of things. He went here. He destroyed this. He burnt it. The ashes went over there. He went over here. He burnt this. He cut this down. He did all these different things. whole chapter of things. It took all of that. If he'd just done, you know, like the, well, I'll just tear down a few so people know I'm serious. It wouldn't have worked. He had to do it all. He had to get rid of everything. So just a full chapter of things that he destroyed. And then he finished it and he did it right. Sometimes when we get to work, it's not just a quick fix. It's not just, oh, if I do this thing. Sometimes it's decades. It's years. It's years. Some of you guys worked 20 years with people that you know that weren't saved. You prayed for them. You loved them. They cared for them. And I've heard so many stories. After 20 years, someone came to Christ. 20 years of praying, of loving, of caring. You have to keep going until the harvest comes. You can't just expect it to happen. 2 Kings 23, 24. Josiah also got rid of the mediums and psychics, the household gods, the idols, and every other kind of detestable practice, both in Jerusalem and through the land of Judah. He did this in obedience to the law the priest had found in the Lord's temple. Now, the reason I bring this up, it's kind of a side note, but it's really important. Notice, he got rid of the mediums and the psychics. One of the things that's becoming really popular now, even with younger generations, and and really any generation is like tarot cards, Ouija board, you know, going to a psychic, um, kind of dabbling around in the arts. Or the arts? <laughs> Those are not the arts. You know, like the metaphysical. Arts are good. Go, you know, draw things. Um, <laughs> we have paint nights coming up. Um, in the metaphysical world, I can promise you that two things are going to happen if you mess up, if you mess with this stuff. One, they're not real. And uh, you just wasted your money or you made an important life decision on something somebody made up. That's really not helpful to you at all. Number two, they are real. And the power that they have, I promise you, is not from God. It's from an evil demonic source. And you are opening yourself up to some spiritual evil. And, and I think that sometimes we use this very lightly. We don't think about the spiritual ramifications of choices that we make. And we don't get, like some of you guys are like, this is really uncomfortable. But we need to talk about this. 
There is a spiritual reality in this world. There's angels, there's demons, there's God, there's Satan. And there are powers that go both ways. God is the most powerful. But when we play with things like mediums and psychics and tarot cards and Ouija boards, we open ourselves up to the evil that Josiah and his uh, generations, really, his ancestors were experiencing. Do not open yourself up to that. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't create a space. And I think it's really easy. I had a friend that just it just broke my heart. I'm over, but I'm going to keep going. Uh, Brian does it sometimes. So I'll go for it. Um, follow the example of your elders. Um, good man. Good man, Brian. Um, you know, and, and she sought out uh, a medium because she lost her mom, and the grief was so overwhelming that she just wanted to talk to her mom. Let me just tell you, when you die, God does not lose your soul. He doesn't lose you. You can't, as much, as hard as it is, we can't communicate with those that have passed. And that's really hard because we love them and we care about them. And we want to be with them. But what, what you're talking to in that situation is not them. It's something else. And it's evil. And um, we just want to give space for that. So um, I just wanted to bring that up because it's something that's really popular in, um, in society right now. And I just want to be like, don't, let's learn from the Bible. Let's learn from the things that happened here. And we can see where a lot of that stuff leads and it's just destruction. So I'm going to keep going here. So after all of this stuff had happened and he destroyed everything and everything was burned down and all these things were happening, um, he um, he decided to do what, had, like Brian did a great job of explaining this, uh, I think it was last week or the week before, about Passover. And he was like, we need to do Passover. We need to celebrate this, this remembrance of the things that God has done. And my favorite, this is one of my favorite verses in all these chapters, and it said, 2 Kings 23, 23, there had not been a Passover celebration like that since the time of when the judges ruled in Israel, nor throughout all the years of the kings of Israel and Judah. There was the biggest party that had ever happened in Passover for like so long, probably at least a hundred years. And there was probably dancing. I know. I'm just saying, that's very appropriate for this time. You know, there was, there was celebration. They were so excited to be back with the Lord that they celebrated. This is what I want us to get to. I want this church to get to being so excited for the things that we're doing that we want to celebrate. You know, like, maybe we leave church, you know, and you're like, yeah, church, you know, like something like, I don't know, but, but I would love for us to leave church with something and be so excited about something that God has done, something that God has said that we're just like walking out, you know, and maybe, you know, maybe you're on a walker and you're just a little bit slower. Just do the shoulders. That's fine. Shoulders are fine. You know, just the one hand. It's fine. Whatever you need to do. But we need to respond to what God is doing. We need to respond. We need to celebrate the things that God is doing. Because if there's anyone in the Bible I want to be like, it's Josiah. Man, this kid had everything wrong with him. He had a bad family. He uh, lost his dad. He became king at eight years old. He could barely count. You know what I mean? Like, this kid was really set up to fail. But God saw him and responded and made him the greatest king that had ever been. Even more than King David. Verse 25. Never before had there been a king like Josiah who turned to the Lord with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his strength, obeying all the laws of Moses. And there's never been a king like him since. This is who we should be like. If he celebrates, I want to celebrate. 
If he turns the Lord with all of his heart, I want to turn the Lord with all my heart. So I want you guys to think about in your lives, what do you have to do? What do you need to do? Because Josiah had all these things that he could have used. Oh, I had a bad family, so therefore I can't. Don't be like that. Recognize the things that are in your life and say, you know what? In spite of this, I will serve the Lord. In spite of this, I am going to serve the Lord. And I'm not just going to serve because I have to. I'm going to celebrate. I'm going to do it with everything that I have. Man, if we could do that, that would be something. So I'm going to go ahead and invite the, the worship team up right now. But I really want you guys to just really consider that. Find the one thing, the two things, the three things in your life that you really need to let go of and say, because of this, I'm not going to let it keep me from serving who God is.